Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, you may have heard the University of Alberta fired the head of its campus sexual assault center after she signed an open letter calling reports of sexual violence during Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel an unverified accusation. What the hell was she thinking? Whatever happened to believing survivors? And by the way, what's with union leaders and pride center executives signing on too? Is anybody actually thinking this through? We get into it in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Hey, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Real Talk. We're going to get into it exactly that in just a second with... Ariella Kimmel and Kristen Rayworth. We're talking about an open letter that's been making news uh, across the country. We've uh, seen at least one high-profile dismissal uh, from a job at the University of Alberta's Sexual Assault Center. This is an open letter in support of Palestine. So says it at the top, stand with Palestine. But it's the contents of that letter, the assertion of that letter in particular, questions around the validity of claims of, of sexual assaults of rapes that happened back on October 7th uh, when Hamas uh, terrorists perpetrated the worst attack in Israel's history. It's got some people talking about a new movement in Canada. It's subtle. It's not actually called this. You'd never see the hashtag. Well, at least not seriously, but me too, unless you're a Jew. We're going to get into that letter in just a second. Plus, Charles Adler will join us in the second half of today's episode. Is it true? New polling from Angus Reid shows that Canadians may care a little bit less about climate change than they did a year ago, than they did two years ago, than they did the last time there was a federal election. We'll find out. Plus, of course, you know, Chuck proudly hails from Winnipeg. We'll probably have to bring up the results of yesterday's Grey Cup game. If, if you PVR'd it and you're planning on watching it later and you're avoiding all news coverage today, I know that's very few of you for a high-profile live sporting event like the Grey Cup, but consider this your spoiler alert. We'll officially get started in 30 seconds, but first we wanted to put a shout out to those of you that are looking for new opportunity right now. Maybe a, a new week, a fresh start is what you're looking at. Maybe starting a new career. Rello is where we want to point you. That's R-E-L-O, Rello.ca. Rello's got a great opportunity for those of you that are maybe intrigued by the opportunity to be your own boss, run a thriving business, leave cubicle life behind. If that sounds pretty good, Plus, you add unlimited earning potential on top of that. A career in real estate could be your perfect match. You can get started today by enrolling with Rello. That's R-E-L-O, Rello.ca. Alberta's top real estate school is going to support you every single step of the way from studying for your exam to getting ready to get that license secured and beyond. The relationship continues. Plus, with Rello, you can study 100% online on your own schedule. It doesn't get any better than that. Right now, you can save 20% off any Rello course. It's a great opportunity for Real Talkers. 20% off any course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK at Rello.ca. So the letter says, stand with Palestine. Call on political leaders to end their complicity in genocide. And it goes on from there. Addressed to members of parliament, this letter is probably getting more play than the authors or those that signed on to it even anticipated. It's prompted an editorial 
at the line. That's readtheline.ca by our leadoff guests today, Kristen Rayworth and Ariella Kimmel. Uh, Kristen is a sexual violence survivor and advocate, Ariella, VP of Strategic Comms and Development for Winston Wilmot and an active volunteer in the Jewish community. Good morning to both of you. Welcome to the show. Ariella, why don't we start with you? How did this open letter first get on your radar and, and, and where did you see the first red flag? Uh, so actually, it became got on my radar through a Twitter account that tagged me in it, um, I think on Wednesday, um, and I retweeted it and started sharing it. Um, but going through it, I also started to point out the anti-Semitic organizations that uh, co-signed it. So that's also kind of one of my biggest warnings I'm, I want to put forward is know who you're signing on with uh, before you sign on to things. Uh And then, you know, from there, I think it took a few days, but it finally kind of got on people's radar and uh, eventually uh, University of Alberta took the necessary steps. But I think we have a few other uh, signatories to talk about as well. Yeah, I mean, mean, there are some significant ones, and and I guess probably depending on where you're watching this or where you're listening from across the country, different groups may join out at you. Maybe maybe the most high-profile politician, you wouldn't have said this a year ago uh, when fewer people knew who Sarah Jama was, but obviously ostracized, expelled from the NDP caucus in Ontario. The party's been criticized for that, by the way. But an MPP out of Hamilton Centre, along with Susan Kim, a counselor in Victoria. But But then you've got union leaders you've got the aupe on this local chapters out of edmonton qp pretty high profile union the pride center of edmonton which we can get into that in just a second um kristen what prompted you to join forces with ariella and put this piece together in the line well we actually had talked about doing this piece before the letter came out um we had started working on it last week like at the beginning of the week um just because we were seeing more and more uh denial of the experiences of Jewish women and specifically around the issues of sexual violence. And obviously that is something very close to my heart is, you know, believing survivors and believing people and seeing from folks who would typically be uh, champions of survivors of sexual violence and bringing light to sexual violence, straight up denying that this was even happening and showing zero uh, care for this particular group. So I texted Ariella and we started talking and that's how we decided to start writing this. And then she actually sent the letter to me when she found it on Wednesday. And obviously I was deeply disturbed to see that the U of A Sexual Assault Center had signed on to that letter because of the fact that there is that paragraph that specifically calls sexual violence allegations um, unverified. And as a sexual assault center, you should not be signing on to something that is disbelieving of, of sexual violence. Yeah, so so let's get into that. I mean, people are going to say, well, well, what is the specific line or what are you talking about? So, so maybe I'll read this and uh, it starts, you know, dear members of parliament, you've called on Canada um, to urge for an immediate ceasefire. By the way, it, it opens with we the undersigned residing in so-called Canada urge Canadian political leaders to end complicity uh, in ongoing massacres and genocide in Gaza-occupied Palestine. It says Canadian political parties are dehumanizing Palestinians, facilitating Israeli-led genocide against them. Uh, It says all of you to the MPs complicit in Israel's killing of over 5,000 Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, The Liberal government arguing with a high degree of confidence that Israel did not strike a hospital. Uh, Goes on to say Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the federal NDP, repeating the unverified accusation that Palestine Palestinians were guilty of sexual violence, um, revoking the passes of four delegates who joined a pro-Palestine party at the NDP convention. So your headline reads, Believing Almost All Women. Ariella, 
take us into the believing all women premise, because this has also started a subsequent conversation online. People saying, well, maybe the idea of believing all women is problematic, and this just proves it. Um, except for it's only prompted because it's believing Jewish women. Um, you know, the Me Too movement, when it started, really was active in the in the wording was believe all women. And um, I know Kristen and I can both say, like, we were engaged in in both in the movement and and it was spoken and it, and it is believe all women and and why now why now is it that we should maybe reconsider if we believe all women when it's just israeli women and and to be blunt and honest this isn't any different than i wrote in the hub like probably a month ago about just in general how israel's had to release videos about what's happened um you know what other country would have to release videos of their burnt um, you know, burnt civilians, uh, like who, people who were burnt alive, right? Or videos of people running into shelters and having grenades thrown at them just to make it people believe what's happened. Even this morning, a video was put up about a child being like chased down by Hamas terrorists and shot and killed. It's like, why do we have to justify or prove what happened? Um, and it's a it's a double standard. And I will blatantly call it anti-Semitic double standards. Ariel, I want to ask you in follow-up. People have said, and, and I've just been paying attention. I knew that I was going to talk to the two of you on, on today's episode. And so over the course of the weekend, I've been paying attention to some of the dialogue around this. People are saying, well, how is this letter anti-Semitic? I don't understand how it's anti-Semitic. Can you explain? So I'm just going to particularly focus on the, you know, the unverified claim side. I think that that's really where, where Chris and I have been focused and, and why I will call it anti-Semitic is it is very blatantly believe believe all women unless they're Jewish or me too, unless a Jew. Um, you know, it, Israel's had to release like forensic evidence that it's happened. Um, I I saw the 40 minute video of the Hamas GoPro cameras um, those are images I'll never erase from my mind. But if you read, you know, Sabrina Matto and Matt Gurney, for example, uh, also wrote the viewing and they, which I hate calling it, um, and they wrote about uh, about it. And both of them, like you could, they state that you can clearly see there was sexual violence committed. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm calling it anti-Semitic because your your decision to believe women is now based on where they're from and whether or not you agree with their government. Um, and there is a blurred line now between what I would say anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, and we're really seeing that. Um, we should note that uh, MPP JAMA has gone so far as you both write to publicly state that accounts of rape are, quote, a lie pushed forward by the Zionist lobby. Uh, Kristen, can, can you explain to people that don't know uh, what DARVO is and, and how that applies to this, how it's relevant, this acronym, Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim Offender? Um, I will throw that to Ariella because that was actually her section of the piece. Um, but I will just build on what she said quickly before uh, I let her tackle that question. Um, a lot of the responses that we've been getting and a lot of the responses I have been getting is that somehow we are justifying any action by the state of Israel by talking about sexual violence and the fact that sexual violence occurred. And that's where people just, it, it is consistently a source of frustration, not just in this situation, but whenever I talk about sexual violence, and Ariella can speak to this too, that if, it's, if it doesn't align with your worldview or it's someone that you like, or it's a situation that you like, you just refuse to acknowledge it. And in this situation, 
people are saying, oh, well, you know, what about this? What about that? Yes, that's bad too, but that's not what we're talking about. And that's not what we were trying to highlight in this story. And I think people wanted us to speak to every single incident of sexual violence that occurs in the Middle East, but that's not, again, what we were trying to highlight because that's not what's being denied. You do not see that on the same level, people in the movement denying any crimes committed by Israel, but you see it constantly against Israeli women. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you point as well to uh, uh, posts on Instagram that had been uh, released by the University of Alberta Sexual Assault Center. We want to note that the director of the center was canned over the weekend. Um, my understanding is, and I've seen people applauding uh, President Flanagan at the university, it sounds like this kind of went all the way to the top, which is understandable. Uh, but from the University of Alberta Sexual Assault Center posts as well uh, in support of pro-Palestinian uh, rallies, uh, you know, noting that, quote, resistance is justified when people are occupied. There is only one solution, Antifada revolution. It, like to state the obvious, it strikes me as more an individual um, the director of this center who lost her job, sort of treating the center and its platform and its amplification power as her own personal megaphone. It doesn't strike me as somebody that maybe understood uh, the role of a center like that or what that center needs to provide. Maybe I'm stating something obvious here, but I've actually never seen or haven't seen in quite some time um, such gross negligence in a position of leadership. Um, Ariel, as you write, uh, the sexual assault center stating resistance is justified after October 7th. I can't imagine uh, a Jewish student at the university of Alberta approaching that center for supports under any context. It's, it's mind blowing actually. Yeah. It's like, and you know, so I looking at that poster, just like in giving a little context, that was a, uh, a walkout organized across the country on the anniversary of Kristallnacht. So the, you know, the pogrom that, uh, you know, that targeted Jewish businesses, um, homes, synagogues uh, in Nazi Germany um, on that same day on November 9th. And in Montreal, the um, poster that went along with it uh, had a picture of glass being broken by someone's foot, you know, foot, which was from um, the BB riots that happened there in the early 2000s. So, you know, that no one's tying in connections is what's really problematic to me. Um, but yeah, those, those chants are, um, you know, resistance is justified is saying, well, that the attacks on October 7th were justified um, or there's only one solution into Fada revolution. You know, we saw um, yesterday or Saturday in Toronto, um, a child, uh, you know, chanting from the stage at a rally, you know, about celebrating the Intifada. The Intifada was a, the second Intifada was a, like, was years of suicide bombings that targeted Israeli civilians at, you know, in clubs, in restaurants, on buses, um, and waiting for line, waiting for the lineup to go through security in the malls, to go into malls became dangerous in Israel because of the Intifada. The calling for an intifada is calling for the death of Israeli civilians, and and it's happening on our streets. So to see a sexual assault center, um, you know, openly um, advocating for it and justifying it is actually is horrifying. Uh, let's talk about just the other leadership as well. Like uh, Kristen, I like when October seven, and and obviously I, I think all of us agree. Everything. Well, I shouldn't say all of us agree. You can speak for yourselves, but let me say everything that's happening right now is horrific. This is a complete nightmare. 
Um, I But on October 7th and into the 8th, there were some posts going out from organizations like there was there was a prominent Canadian union that was basically celebrating what had happened in Israel on October 7th. Uh, I had tweeted about it. It absolutely blows my mind. And, and I'm just just to, to, to bounce this off both of you and our audience as well. We'll get into the live chat here. What do the both of you think is an, an appropriate type response from when you have I don't know if this is union comms like if I'm a QP employee or if I'm an AUPE employee like I'm quite certain that Jewish people work in those unions I'm quite certain that you don't have to be Jewish to feel like it's absolutely preposterous if I was paying union dues and I saw that my union was signing on to something like this like what do you think this is not normal um, I, I, and I'm just curious to know what the two of you think is an appropriate response for this, what you think would be an, an appropriate follow, what you would say to union members that are appalled to see their unions named on this open letter over to you. Um, I think Kristen, or- Kristen, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, I mean, you know, I used to be a member of the AEP, um, and I, I would say that, you know, if I was them, I'd want to vote on our leadership. Like, you know, in terms of who of the people who said, especially with this, I think it was CUP, right? Ariel, the one who had, yeah. If yeah. I was in that and my, and my leadership was saying those things, um, especially because, you know, if, if you're there's, and I want to stress that there's a very, very big difference in my opinion, between talking about a ceasefire, talking about, you know, the, the, the devastation that is occurring in Gaza versus actively celebrating and or denying which it, oddly people do this do it at the same time which i don't know how they do that but they manage um between actively denying and celebrating the actions of hamas those are very two separate things and a lot of people get them mixed as we saw uh, over the weekend i think it was on sunday um a u of a law professor talked about the firing of the president of the students union and said she was fired for you know bravely speaking up no she wasn't she was let go for denying the experience of sexual violence survivors and that needs to be made very clear we are not talking about everyone who's calling for a ceasefire or speaking about what's going on in gaza should suffer some kind of consequence we are talking about denial and celebration of horrific acts of violence yeah, I mean, it's a big it, difference. It, it, well, and and it's just like it, it's. Uh, I mean, the word that my brain is telling me to use right now is oblivious. You are oblivious uh, to to be posting on this and to be participating in this. Um, to to be specific, like I understand why some of the groups sign on. They're more than welcome. People are welcome to sign their names to this. If if politicians want to sign their name to it and pay the piper, that's completely fine. But if I'm a member of like the Alberta Union of Public Employees, Local Fifty Four, Chapter 001, I'm not very stoked about this, right? Like, like if I, if I'm a, the the Pride Center of Edmonton, like I'd be curious to know how, what the leadership of the Pride Center of Edmonton thinks that Hamas thinks about them. I'd be really curious to put it, you know, in a potentially crass but straight up real fashion. Like, what are these people thinking? Like, QP Union on here? Like, if I'm a, if I'm a member of of QP, uh, like it, it's it's absolutely unbelievable i i feel like this story is actually really underrated and people are saying i mean i think some people are going overboard people are saying you know there's a lot of academics on here there's a lot of researchers on here uh, people are saying well if if they're here on like visas they should be deported i don't think so to be honest with you 
Um, I think that people can face personal consequences for signing on to things. But in my mind, it's the organizations that are attaching their names to this that are that are participating in particularly egregious conduct. I don't know if you agree, Ariella. Um, I, I agree. I, my favorite is that they turn themselves civil society, and I'm like, how civilized is this? Um, you know, like we talk about QP. Uh, shout out to Catherine Marshall, who's uh, running currently has a class action lawsuit um, against Fred Hahn. Um, she's going through the Human Rights Tribunal, and I'm pretty sure in the last little while has like tripled the membership of of it. Um, people signing on. If I was a member of QP or AUPE, I would really be questioning what my leadership is doing, engaging in, you know, early days, especially with QP, celebrating, you know, the the attacks. They weren't just they weren't. They weren't they didn't put out words saying we're sorry they happened. They didn't they didn't have anything, you know, any type of remorse for afterwards either. Fred doubled down um, multiple times um, on his stance. Um, and so I think, you know, yeah, the pride, the pride center of Edmonton, AUPE, you know, Sarah Jam, I don't expect anything different from. But Susan Kim, a city councilor um, in Victoria, um, all these organizations what do you also know about the other organizations you're signing on with? You know, I'll put out, for example, um, the Palestinian youth movement, the day after the attacks posted on Instagram, calling for a celebration of the, of what happened, basically asking people to come. And uh, I think it was Nathan Phillips square in Toronto. Um, but they organized, you know, a glory to the martyrs, um, which was celebrating the Hamas terrorists who went in and massacred over a thousand people um and at that time we had no idea the extent of what had happened i will remind everybody um and so their instant reaction was celebration or toronto for palestine the day the news broke were seen handing out candy in celebration of what happened so this is really where i get you know i have a, a lot of issues is who are you signing on with and why are you not taking the time to educate yourself on it. Um, and then why do you then come back at the Jewish community and tell us that we don't have a right to see this anti-Semitic? You're, you're actually just gaslighting us at this point. I want to read from this. Uh, people can check out the piece at readtheline.ca. We're talking to the co-authors, Kristen Rayworth and Ariella Kimmel. Uh, quote, Hamas didn't just commit atrocities, they live streamed them. Yet it's acceptable within the progressive feminist movement to deny and justify their actions. If you advocate for women, then that advocacy cannot be dependent on whether you agree with the government of the country from which the victim comes. We implore these advocates to ask themselves, why is it that Israel, the only Jewish state, has to actively try to make you believe? The international feminist community has failed Israeli women. They have at best turn their backs on them and at worst continue to re-victimize them. Um, neither of you are on here cheering for uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Neither of you are on here celebrating the deaths of thousands of civilians in Palestine, including the elderly and, and tragically children. Uh, and, and I want to be clear about that as well. In, in my mind, uh, the anti-Semitism that's on display, I mean, there was a, there was a group over the weekend sharing um, and I'll call this up from when we talked to Charles Adler, anti-Semitic maps of New York City targets on social media, including the New York Post newsroom, literally with pins dropped on a map. Uh, I said this last week on the show. This feels like 1930 again. Uh, businesses are being firebombed and shot at uh, because of Jewish ownership or Jewish operators. Um, and that's uh, puts 
regular, ordinary, average people in a position where we got to say something. Um, And I'm grateful that the two of you are joining us here to talk about it. Before we thank you for your time, I want to give you a chance to uh, make sure you mention something maybe we haven't got to yet or give our audience something to think about, something to focus on. Ariella, you want to go first? Sure. Um, You know, you you mentioned how this kind of feels like the 1930s. And um, I'm I'm the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor. um, And, you know, I grew up with learning about the Holocaust from from a very young age. And um, I you know, schools are being firebombed and shot at uh, on Friday. The uh, Jewish high school in Toronto had to be evacuated because of a bomb threat. And uh, the daycare next door had to be evacuated with them. Um, you know, I grew up going to public school in Ottawa, having death of the Jews, Hitler should have killed you all written on your desk. So in some ways, this doesn't surprise me, the anti-Semitism it, that's been bubbling below the surface. Um, but it's now uh, out in full force. And I was having a conversation with a friend recently who said, what do we do next? And I I said, I actually don't know because I don't know anymore how you put the lid on what has happened and make Jews in this country feel safe again. Um, And I think really, you know, I'm grateful for Kristen for co-writing this piece with me because the sexual violence is, um, you know, is something that's, that no other country would have ever been in a position that they would have had to almost go out. They have to go out and justify. They're showing videos to journalists about it. Um, you know, the forensic team is coming out and talking about what they're seeing. That's you know, cl- you know, broken pelvises and ripped panties and things like that. And why? I really need to implore people to ask themselves, like, why is it the Jewish state is the only country that has to continuously justify? that you know improve what happened to their civilians um and and i'll go as far as say it's it's so blatantly anti-semitic and if that's where you're standing on this ask yourself you know you know why and what would you do to your jewish neighbors at this point because i will tell you i can't speak for every jew in this country but i i look at my neighbors and i would ask myself would you put me on a cattle car or would you hide me and that's that's terrifying huh kristen well, that's a heck of a statement to that follow is, up. That uh, is, yeah. Um, I will just say that, you know, I've been doing this work since 2017. The first time you and I met Ryan was when I was the spokesperson for the I Believe You campaign. You know, for for years and years and years, what we, myself, advocates, the centers, what we've been trying to do is to create this culture of belief and support for all survivors. A message that, of course, um, is harder to work with when you have a director of a sexual assault center advocating the opposite. I was glad to see that that situation was resolved because I don't think that survivors would have felt safe in that environment. Um, but in the entire time I've been doing this work, and as you as you, you know, I've had my share of dust ups on the Internet. Um, I have never been targeted in the way that I have since I started speaking out clearly on the sexual violence experienced by Jewish women. I have been called racist. I have been called a warmonger. I have been called other names I am not going to use this early in the day. Um, And I think that that speaks to the really big divide right now. And I would ask that anyone listening to this whose knee-jerk reaction is to want to label myself or Ariella something or come after us. Why is that your reaction to us talking about believing survivors of sexual violence? Why is it that you want to, instead of accepting and understanding that violence occurs, especially sexual violence as a war crime occurs in war, and that is what happened here, that you immediately want to deny it and attack the people saying it. I think that that's something that people need to sit with and think about with themselves. 
because we are not going to address sexual violence overall or as an issue, especially within war, if people won't stand up for every single person who experiences it. Well said. That's Kristen Rayworth, uh, joined by Ariella Kimmel. Uh, you can read their feature, Believing Almost All Women, at readtheline.ca. We'll link to it directly in the show notes on the podcast and on YouTube. Thank you to the both of you. It's a uh, difficult subject matter, obviously, but I, I appreciate your courage and putting it out there and being willing to talk about it here on Real Talk. Thank you for having us. You bet. Uh, Charles Adler up in just a second. Uh, you can let us know what you think about this. Graham says, thank you for having the guts, basically, to talk about this for sure. He said the bravery to have these conversations. L- let me put it this way. Like there are, there's the leadership of, of, you know, like AUPE, for example, or QP. Um, and, and I should note with the Canadian Union of Public Employees, it's local 3906 in Edmonton. That's the Indigenous Solidarity Working Group. That's one thing, right? Like if I'm a union member and, and people would write in, people will write in to us guaranteed and say, well, hang on a second. What about political activism by unions, Right. Like if I'm a conservative and I'm a member of a union that is donating money to NDP candidates in Alberta or is donating money to, to federal liberal candidates, where are my rights there? You know, what 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 uh, what uh, options do I have at my disposal as a union member when a portion of my union dues in theory? Right. And you have a good point are being used to further a political cause or support a political candidate that I don't support personally. And I'm sure that other people may come back and argue and say, well, part of a union leadership's job, you know, the executive is to determine which political parties would have the policies that might most benefit the union. And then yada, yada, yada. And other people would say, well, what about other groups like business advocacy groups that would support and donate to conservatives? And, and we can get into that. And that's actually perfect. That type of conversation for a show like this. I love those types of conversation. Should unions be donating to political parties? What a great subject for a show. My immediate answer is no. Hell no. But you can let me know what you think. I'll hear you out. I love that. This is different, right? Talking about Jagmeet Singh repeating, quote, unverified claims of sexual assaults by Palestinians on October 7th. What? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the director of a sexual assault center and signing your name to that? Essentially saying, prove it. So you say you were sexually assaulted? Prove it? Hasn't the whole message for the last 10 years been, we believe you? Unbelievable. Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen somebody in a position of leadership, and I'm not naming her, by the way, because then we'll be, we're going to you know, sick the dogs and everybody's going to accuse real talk of piling on and singling her out. So you'll notice I'm not naming the director of the U of A Sexual Assault Center that lost her job over the weekend. Her bio online is particularly interesting. She notes proudly that despite having the immense privilege of being paid well to do the advocacy that she does, she still works with community groups and nonprofits to end policing in Edmonton, to end policing in Edmonton. So it gives you a bit of an idea of the perspective of the person that you're dealing with. But this is a gross betrayal of the job that you have been entrusted with, and what message does it send? I mean, the university had absolutely no choice in this matter. Zero choice. There was no meeting. Well, there probably was a meeting, but if I'm the president of the university, there's no meeting. Like, this is an immediate decision. 
You could say, well, there's academics on there, though. There's dozens of them that are named and researchers. I'm not going to go through and name them all, but from a lot of universities, University of Alberta, University of Calgary, Mohawk College, some of them down in the States, Eastern Canada, York, McMaster. There's one from University of Toronto, Windsor. There's a ton, University of Victoria. They're entitled to their position. Take your position and own it. If you're going to sign a letter, if I'm going to go sign a letter that basically says I'm not going to believe that women were sexually assaulted, women that say they were, until they prove it, then you can deal with the consequences of that, of taking that position. That's real life. People deal with consequences of positions they take all the time. But when you are the director of an organization in particular, I mean, we, can, we, we, we haven't spent a ton of time talking about the union. We've spent even less time talking about the leadership, the new leadership of the Pride Center of Edmonton. That blows my mind as well. But I kind of get it. I kind of get how some people are wired in a certain way to support these causes immediately without really thinking about what they're getting into. Like I think there, there's some inexperience at play here. I think that some of the people that have signed this letter, though I don't know them personally, are maybe a little bit naive. Is that fair to suggest? But the most egregious one on the list is the sexual assault center's director. Like if you have this job, you cannot sign that letter. And so she's not the director anymore. You can send us a note to talk at ryanjesperson.com if you want to share a thought on this. It's something that we're happy to open up for conversation, though I don't know what angle you're going to take on this if you're going to try to disagree with Kristen and Ariella. I mean, best of luck to you. Charles Adler in one minute, but first I want to remind you that Athabasca University is offering right now an opportunity for you to be able to scale up your knowledge to work toward a a program or even a degree a graduate degree maybe an mba without leaving the comfort of your own home it's great for parents it's great for people with irregular work schedules maybe you're a shift worker it's great for people living in rural parts of the country that well a commute to a brick and mortar university just isn't realistic athabasca university is canada's open university and they're offering incredible chances for you to get ready to enter or re-enter a dynamic job market in Canada. More than 9 out of 10 of their alumni, 94% in fact, say they're satisfied with the quality of their AU education. You know, 92% of alumni say they're in a job related to their field of study. Not every university can claim that, to say the very least. You can learn more and get the application process started today by visiting AthabascaU.ca. And we want to give a big shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration as well. A lot of people think of Complete Care Restoration when they hear of fire damage, flood damage. Understandable. That's exactly what they've been doing for the last 10 years. Still a family-owned business, but they're also experts in construction and renovation projects. Which means if you're looking to maybe get that new bathroom built down in your basement or develop the entire basement, maybe you want to overhaul your kitchen or maybe you've got an office building somewhere in the city and you're starting to think about converting that to condos, apartments, to help address Canada's housing crisis. This is what they do at Complete Care and we recommend them with two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. First show of every week, we get to hang out with Charles Adler, the Emmy Award-winning, RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award-winning talk radio legend. And Chuck, I was thinking of you yesterday. I didn't text you. 
it looked like you and your Winnipeg Bomber Nation, the Blue Bomber Nation, was going to be celebrating another Grey Cup, officially proclaiming itself to be a dynasty, but the Montreal Alouettes had other plans. How are you wrapping your minds around what happened in one of the most dramatic finishes in Grey Cup history? Well, as you know, I've been a huge fan of Edmonton teams. I was a huge fan of the Edmonton Oilers dynasty i was a huge fan of the edmonton eskimo dynasty and i honestly thought we were just you know kind of knocking on the door of a dynasty here in winnipeg and um we now have a dynasty deficit (laughs) Uh, i mean budget deficits are horrible affordability issues are horrible but please please think of us here in winnipeg we're suffering uh from a, a dynasty deficit uh brought on by a game where there may have been i don't know there may have been a little bit of complacency on the field complacency is always your, your number one enemy but i've got to give credit where credit is due the uh the montreal alouettes had guts determination constructive aggression and just a hell of a lot of talent in the most important quarter of football and that's the fourth they were amazing and i must admit that even though i'm a homer like all other sports fans and i was rooting for the bombers i actually forgot that i was a homer actually forgot how important it was for me to have this uh, dynasty established in the last 10 minutes of the game because I was so ensconced in the, in the talent on the football field. And I think the good news there for, for all of us uh, fans, whether it's NFL, CFL, NHL, I don't care. Um, every now and then we're watching a game where the homer cap is blown right off our heads mm-hmm. because we're focused on the game. And the story here is the game is bigger than any of the players bigger than any of the teams we love the game yeah you know earlier this year we did an episode uh johnny do you remember what it was called i think it was called is the cfl dead or is the cfl dying or something like that Mm -hmm. you remember that and 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 we had sort of made the assertion because it was obviously a very difficult year in edmonton uh extremely difficult and the stands were just very sparsely populated with fans i've never really seen anything like it uh like probably a tenth of when I moved to this city almost 20 years ago, I mean, they used to draw 30,000 to every game, no matter what. And if the riders were in town, they'd draw 45,000. Now they're drawing like five, uh, no matter what the teams tell you. Bums in the seats, there was like four or 5,000 this year. So really tough to see. But yesterday, we sat down, we watched the Grey Cup as a family, and I just, I, I had to say, it was great product. It was a great game. It was a great finish. Great halftime show. My son heard Green Day for the very first time, so he was enjoying that. I thought it was. I thought. It, I thought that the league did a really good job yesterday. And I was happy to see it. Nobody wants to see the CFL die, uh, but you know, you you look very cynical about that. Well, CFL isn't dying. I, I, I give you one, you know, basic reason. I mean, because of our own backgrounds, Ryan. You know, we ought to know better. Um, yes, we were doing radio and yes, we're doing podcasting, but we're doing business. Okay. The CFL is a business and TSN is a business and TSN's business model requires CFL contests because CFL contests get great ratings. I don't yet know what the ratings were last night, but I'm positive. They were fantastic. They had to be fantastic because sometimes the ratings die in the fourth quarter when it's too obvious to too many people, regardless of how inebriated they are, that there's no real contest here. And the, the announcers are just trying to, you know, keep people jacked up about a contest that, that isn't on the field. But the contest was on the field literally in the last 10 seconds is when you had the, the winning touchdown 
by the Montreal Alouettes. So I'm positive they got great ratings last night. And the bottom line is, as long as the CFL is a giant coast-to-coast TV show, which is what it is, and as long as it's a successful TV show, the CFL ain't dying. And I guess it was Mark Twain uh, years ago, and Ryan, uh, you're always better on the details than I am. Uh, you're, my, you're my winger on details, but it was this expression was something like, Reports of my demise are yes. exaggerated. I think is that, R- is that reports. Right? Is that... Reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Reports. Thank you. Reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Said Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain. And I think we can honestly say that, based on it being a great TV show with great ratings, and yes, advertisers spending a lot of money, I think that it's fair to say that reports of the CFL's death are greatly exaggerated. I'm reading here, uh, and, and I shouldn't be doing this because, um, you know, we're doing this live on the fly, but apparently I, I'm, I'm citing mentalfloss.ca, this website, which I'm not super uh, familiar with, but they say they say that uh, they say that Mark Twain is actually typically uh, quoted inaccurately on that quote. Just, I, so I don't know. But, hey, we always want to fact check on the show, right? So, so, here, so here we are. Not only, not only do I count on you for the details, I count on you to second guess <laughs> no, I don't. This is just interesting. Hey, we're all going to we're all going to learn something together here. So, so per mental floss, and who knows? I, I, I okay. mean, who even knows right. if they're right? But in 1897, yeah. uh, in, in 1897, an English journalist uh, journalist from the New York Journal uh, contacted Mark Twain to inquire whether the rumors that he was gravely ill or already dead were indeed true. And he wrote a response uh, which made it into the article. That ran in the New York Journal on on June second of eighteen ninety seven. Uh, here it is: "Quote: Mark Twain was undecided whether to be more amused or annoyed when a journal representative informed him today of the report in New York that he was dying in poverty in London. The great humorist, uh, while not perhaps very robust, is in the best of health." He said, "I can understand perfectly how the report of my illness got about. I have even heard on good authority that I was dead." Uh, James Ross Clemens, a cousin of mine, was seriously ill two or three weeks ago in London, but as well now, the report of my illness grew out of his illness. The report of my death was an exaggeration. So there you go. That's the official that's, quote. That's pretty close to the, it's pretty good. the quote that we all, we all quote. Pretty I mean, good. You know. Hey, Chuck, is it yeah. inappropriate for we, we've been talking uh, to Ariella Kim, uh, Kristen Rayworth, uh, the two of them uh, yeah. co-authoring this piece in the line, and we've got talking about union leaders, uh, leaders of, of sexual assault centers, pride centers, what have you, signing on to open letters that are taking strong positions, not calling for a ceasefire, not calling for peace, but calling into doubt the validity of reports of things like sexual assault. In your mind, when does union leadership cross a line signing something like this? Well, Brian, when have you ever heard me? I mean, I'm a, a child of Holocaust survivors. As I think everyone who watches and listens to this podcast knows. So when is the last time that you heard me compare anything to Holocaust denial? Right. Okay. So here I am doing that. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't think sexual assault was serious. Now, uh, both of us have spent uh, some time in our youth in courts and uh, when you're when you're doing court coverage, crime coverage, you get to see photos that you don't allow your your viewers to see because they are massively uncomfortable. So I don't know how much you've done in, in your your career, but I had the uh, displeasure of uh, seeing 
crime photos that were sexual assault crimes. Uh. I have never seen sexual assault crime photos that compare to what Hamas, this is not Israel, this is not a, a Jewish media person, this is not an activist saying this. I have never seen sexual assault photos with my own eyes that compare to what Hamas claims they did to women. I'm not just talking about rape. Rape is bad enough. I'm talking about, uh, I'm going to be very graphic here, so for those people who who don't want to handle uh, that kind of content, just turn turn it down, whatever you're listening to, turn it down for a few seconds. Uh, Hamas has claimed that some of their people, and I'm using that word with a very, very liberal definition, uh, some of their people uh, were not just raping women, but they were inserting knives and guns. So for anyone in in Alberta, University of Alberta, Sexual Assault Center uh, professor, I I don't care who you are, uh, for anyone to get into uh, rape denial, uh, that is the denial of rape, if it's a Jewish woman or someone connected to a Jewish woman making the charge, this is as low as it gets in my opinion. I don't think you and I have ever discussed anything on this show that is as reprehensible as this. And I don't care whether you're a, a union leader, a union supporter, um, you know, an academic. I, I, don't, I don't care. You, you want to sign off on, on rape denial? You're on your own, Jack. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's turn the page here. I, I know that you uh, are intrigued by recent polling. Tristan Hopper has written about it. Um, his headline grabbed my attention. Canadians appeared to have stopped caring about climate change. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. But the headline worked. It got me to click and read. Um, it's his first reading. It's a, it's a weekly thing that he does in the National Post. And, and he cites polling done by Angus Reid, where Canadians were asked which political party they would prefer to manage the country's climate change file. And the winner in the poll, if you want to call it that, uh, was the Conservative Party of Canada under Pierre Poliev. Almost one in three people, 28%, say they want the Tories managing Canada's climate change file. 14% want the Liberals, the status quo, you might call it. So half. Um, now, the Conservative plan on climate change, we don't really know what it is. Uh, it has it has yet to be announced. <laughs> they, want, they want Maxime Bernier's people... They want Danielle Smith's people. I'm talking about the, the base, okay? Yeah. They want all these bases, okay? They want they want the people right at the the bottom. That what the people I think of as as the catfish, okay? The the bottom feeders. So if if you're in politics and you're looking for the bottom of every single base that you're targeting, you're not uh, trying to submit a climate change plan. You're you're trying to come as close to de- denying climate change as possible because people at the bottom of that base don't believe in climate change. Now, I don't believe in Tristan Hopper's headline, and I'm not going to say that Tristan Hopper created the headline. There's a very good chance someone else at the National Post did. Yeah. But, but we, and we can get into this issue. But can you explain to me, Ryan, just as a fellow professional, what is the point of, of saying when, you, when you've got the Angus Reid poll in your hands, what is the point of saying that Canadians no longer care? about climate change? That's, that, that, that isn't even close to what the poll says. Well, well if... if- 28%, if double the amount of people say they want the conservatives managing the climate change file, right. 
Uh, let me go to Tristan's writing. He says, sure. what's what's more, respondents were endorsing a version of the conservative party that has very explicitly not prioritized climate change. Right. Uh, under Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, the conservatives were very careful about stressing to the electorate that they cared about rising emissions and had a viable plan yeah. to bring them down. But under Poliev, there are no emissions targets and he hasn't even released a climate change strategy. The party's chief issue is abolishing the carbon tax. And whenever somebody asks what policy will replace it, the Tory answer is technology. I think Tristan's reporting fairly on this. I guess probably the Tristan's reporting is fair. The headline is torqued. The headline is not fair. If I tell you that 15% of Canadians believe that Elvis is alive <laughs> and the headline is Canadians believe Elvis is alive, I'm torquing the headline. And even torquing the headline is a euphemism. Hey, I'm, but hang on I'm a second. If if That's twice bullshit. if twice as many Canadians believe yeah. that Elvis is alive as Canadians yes. that believe he's dead, then the way that we operate as storytellers is majority of Canadians believe Elvis is alive. And oh, do I wish he was. But you know how it works. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm very traditional. I'm very conservative. A majority means 50% plus one. That's sure. a majority. Not 14%, 17%, 28%, 18% compared to 9%. Um, even even uh, for people who want to vote for Paulia, people who want to vote conservative, I'm never going to say that the majority of them don't believe in climate change. I think what's true is... And if this were the headline, the headline would be uh, one that I wouldn't quarrel with. Climate change is a lower priority at the ballot box than it's ever been. I think that's true. Would, would you agree that that's really uh, the, the, the nub of the, of the Angus Reid story, that climate change, because of affordability, because of the price of housing, price of food, because, because some people in, in Canada, too many are, are one paycheck away from, from, from poverty, Climate change, yeah, they may believe that there's a there's climate change happening, but they don't want to spend the kind of money that the government wants them to spend money on. I mean, is it is it fair to say that politically it's not as much of a priority as it used to be? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're basically asking like if we were going to go to the polls right now, what would the ballot box question be, yeah. right? I mean, so so we we actually our Friday roundtable, you know, our real talk roundtable, it's a Friday tradition, sure. like. Just this past Friday, like three days ago, uh, people can check it out. We talked to three of the new panel members. The, the IRPP has a new Affordability Action Council. And we talked to the three of them about that. And, and, and they argued that Canadians have the capacity, uh, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, politically, and otherwise, to care concurrently about the climate crisis and the affordability yes. crisis. But I think uh, when it comes to brass tacks... When it comes to the pencil in your hand, when you're casting your vote uh, for who you want to represent you right now, if we were to vote 100 percent, the ballot box question would be about affordability, Absolutely. not about climate change. Yeah. No, even even among and this is I'm glad that Tristan put this into his story, in the National Post, uh, even among 18 to 34, which we sometimes simply call youth, even among the youth vote, climate change is number five. It's not anywhere close to number one, number two, or number three, and it's it's well out of of the top five as far as the average voter is concerned. But once again, I don't want to you know be uh, you know Mr. Politically Correct uh, on, on climate change, except I just don't want people to have the takeaway that suddenly we become a, a climate denial country. People do believe that there is climate change, and people do believe in so-called man-made. A climate. What, what's the political uh, correct term? You can't say man-made anymore. I don't know. Human-caused, probably. Yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, the, you know, in, in, industrialized uh, climate change, uh, emissions-induced uh, climate change, and all that. Uh, you know, emissions that are are, are 
are being emitted because uh, we want to do something radical like heat our homes. How about stuff that's houses. happening now that wouldn't be yeah. happening if humans weren't here? Exactly. All right, fine. So, <laughs> it's, it's got a real oh, nice I, I, ring I, I, to I, it. Just, it really flows. I just recall the word. We don't even have to go Google for this. I just did the search engine in my just under my Real Talk ball cap. Okay, boy. And the search engine underneath my Real Talk ball cap says anthropogenic. Is that right? Yeah, that right I think so. Okay, anthropogenic. So the majority of Canadians believe in anthropogenic climate change. But the majority of Canadians don't want to vote on it. And it, it has to be said here, and I, I realize this is utterly politically incorrect, but it has to be said here that most Canadians don't believe that there's anything they can do in terms of carbon taxes, whether they pay carbon tax, whether the carbon tax gets doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whether it makes the salary at the superstore even more expensive. They don't honestly believe that it'll be more than a drop in the ocean in the climate change problem, because Canadians do understand that there are far more people in China and India than there are in Canada, and there's far more stuff going into those skies than there is in in Canada. Many Canadians are of Chinese and South Asian origin, and many of them do go back from time to time to, to visit the homeland, and you can hardly see the sun on most days, and that's because of, yes, human-made, human-triggered emissions. And they are the ones who are most responsible uh, for climate change. And if people want to say, well, that's a that's a horribly um, uh, ethnocentric thing to say or a racist thing to say, fine. Uh, that that uh, Go sign a petition. The truth is there are far more people living in India and China and far more emitting going on in those countries than are here. And yes, there's also far more going on in the United States and some other countries. But as, as far as the top two emitters in the world, it's India and China and Canada is nowhere close, nowhere close to even the top 30. Uh, I want to get to Sharon's comment before I put something else in front of you. Sharon says you have to make it more relational when you're when it comes to climate change and how people feel about it. Ask folks who are living in it. Ask, ask the northern folks. Ask the ones who were evacuated three times last year. They are most definitely concerned. I guarantee Canadians are still concerned about climate change. Absolutely. But, but the I mean, way that they, we're they, wired they, as humans, man, is, yeah. is like, especially if you have people under your care, uh, especially if you're a parent, though not exclusively, uh, if you're a grand parent whatever the case may be like what do you care more about you care more about the more pressing matter like i care yeah. more about and and this is not a choice that i think people should have to make let me be clear but i care more if i can't afford housing for my family after next month or if i don't know how we're going to buy groceries next week i care about that more than i care about what planet earth might look like 50 years from now that doesn't mean i don't care about what planet earth might look like 50 years from now like that's just a that's just a regular human reaction sure. right that that's probably comes down to us as animals what do animals care more about the threat staring them in the face or the threat that will probably but might not materialize in 100 years they care about the one right now the gazelle cares about the leopard chasing it more than when it's going to get its next meal, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how we gazelles think. Absolutely. Do leopards hunt uh, gazelles? I think so. I, right. I, I, but but and and it's not that I want to do work for you know David Parker, Pierre Polyev, or Danielle Smith or anything. But I have to be just honest about this because that's kind of what I do. Okay. So it's not a left-right thing. It's just an honest thing. And honest to God, most Canadians are intelligent enough to know that regardless of how effective the carbon tax might be, you know, on the margins, reducing emissions, even if we reduced our emissions to nothing, 
Even if Canada ceased to exist, climate change would continue because Canada has 40 million people in a world, and you can look this up on Google, in a world with billions and billions of people, we are a small percentage of the planet. We are the greatest country on earth in my, in my subjective opinion, okay? Uh, Canada is my promised land and, and, and all of that. But that doesn't overwhelm the math. The math is the math. And the math says that we are a tiny, tiny percentage, as I said earlier, a drop in the ocean of what's causing climate change true but that can't drive our resolve right like uh, you know it, it's something that no, canada still has no, to take seriously resolve, there's nothing more it, high profile when it comes to emissions in north america than alberta's yeah. oil sands would you agree well ob- no ob- obviously obviously and i've said a million times that the, the term ethical oil is, is is a total like oxymoron and i understand you know we're our oil is more ethical because the countries uh, that that compete with us in the oil market, the Saudi Arabias and whatever, um, you know, their politics is is less ethical than our politics, and certainly less democratic. And and, and human rights goes by the boards. I understand all that. That's that stuff is just drop dead simple. But but the but the point is the point remains. Okay, that while our resolve may be there, the idea that we actually believe that the policy of carbon taxes and higher carbon taxes are going to significantly reduce emissions in worldwide climate change. Most of us don't believe that. Now, we do believe in in being good uh, world citizens and being role models and all the rest of that stuff. But none of that, none of that drives politics at the ballot box in 2023, 2024, and 2025. And I can just tell you this, this is just political science 101. When you're explaining you're losing and when you're explaining the same thing over and over again after a period of seven or eight or nine years, you lose a lot of political impact. And right now, the liberals are getting no bang, no bang at all. For, yeah. Uh, for uh, uh, Bunny Slippers is 100 percent correct in the live chat. Sorry, says sorry, guys, but like droughts are happening right now, uh, not yeah. in 50 years. Uh, temperature changes are happening right now. Uh, Bunny Slippers says ask a farmer if droughts are happening now. We hear from them all the time and, and we know it to be true. And maybe I'm being a little bit lazy in my language saying ah, what might happen in 50 years. I guess all I'm saying is that while we do certainly see it happening now, I mean, I'm the one that like, you know, I, I, I'm i the guy that, that watches the video of the polar bear that doesn't have enough ice anymore and like worries right. about the polar bear. And, and then yeah. I see the polar bear. Thank God it gets a meal and it gets the seal. And then I feel bad for the seal. And then Johnny gets in my ear about moving to a plant-based diet. Right, Johnny, I know that I need to do that as well. I know. See, I'm just a big bleeding heart, Chuck. Uh, And by the way, another fact check on the fly. Uh, While leopards do eat over 90 different species, their preferred food sources are indeed antelope, gazelles, and impalas, the ungulates. So so there you go. That per by the way, can I give give Johnny a little hell here? No. Oh, are you up for it, pal? Okay, because yeah. John, John, come on, Adler, I, I it's Monday. Let's go easy. <laughs> I respect, I, Johnny, I respect go you and your easy. wife for being vegans and for, you know, to every now and then giving vegans a, a plug. Some members <laughs> of my family uh, who I love dearly are also vegans, okay? Okay. Um, but, but what have you but... done lately? What have you done lately? What have you, you, you know, what, what has Johnny Infamous done lately to convince a leopard? to go vegan <laughs> how many leopards have you converted johnny uh, I, I have a today. really good story adler about how i tried to convince a bison 
actually. He did. <laughs> actually, and, I believe uh, bisons do live on a it was, vegan it diet. It was nearly yeah. the end of me. It was it was this close to being Johnny No More. So yeah, you got you got a little way, closer can... than recommended. Yeah, I was like, you know, he can tell I'm 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 a lover of animals, right? But <laughs> yeah. they tell you right when you're at Elk Island, like, do not go anywhere Don't near go the anywhere fucking bison. Near them. Don't go near. Do them. not go near them. <laughs> and I, of course. You know, everyone pulls over the side of the road. They take the cameras out and they they go roll down the windows and they they shoot from far away. And I just had to get out. And Jace is like, "You freaking idiot! Don't do that in the car." It's not worth it. I just want to get a little closer so it doesn't look like I'm in the car. And immediately it it started it started rolling at me, Ryan. Yeah, and they move faster than you think. Oh, really fast? Yeah, and once. They look big and bulky and chunky. No, they're they're super quick. Yeah, unbelievable. But you know, you know, it drives me crazy. Vegans are always uh, being told, and vegetarians as well. Uh, you're not getting enough protein. I, you have to have steak. Yeah, right. You have to have turkey. You have to have chicken. You have to have pork. Or I else told- you're not getting protein. So, so how many turkeys and chickens and pigs are moose killing? Because <laughs> right. moose look pretty strong to me. Yeah. Moose do not have a protein deficit. Oh, Wait, at- what, what, how are the moose getting their protein? Yeah. Look at gorillas, man. Gorillas don't eat a, a lick <laughs> right. of meat. They eat, they eat all plants. Arguably- and they are the strongest. One of the strongest animals on the earth. But I, I say this all the time. Every 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 time someone order, orders a salad. Some bro somewhere screams into the abyss, all elk meat diet is better. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gorillas are By the way, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the is also, Arnold Schwarzenegger is also a vegan, and I have a feeling what? that Arnold understands protein and understands you know, what the risks would be. Uh, I, I, what, I'm, what I'm simply saying is that there's a, a big urban myth out there uh, that um, it, unless you're unless you're a carnivore, you're not getting protein. <laughs> not true. No, that's well, true. look, eat what you want. I'm I'm not me and my partner. We're not one to run into McDonald's and slap cheeseburgers out of people's. You're hands. the furthest but thing like, from that. For us, it works. And for me, the one thing is the energy. It, just a lot of a lot more energy than before. But I will say that before when I ate meat, it wasn't like. You know, I wasn't eating like lean turkey breast every day. I was eating, like, you know, pizza and pot burgers. roast, pal. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, all the yeah. good stuff. Um, I want to, I want to, at, at risk of offending all three of us at once, I, I, I'm going to refocus the conversation. If that's only okay. you can do that, right? If that's all right, only you have those, that skill. Those nettlesome hosts, but they're always focused. They're always returning the what the hell's with this? But this is how people talk. We always say, like, you know, if you want to listen to real talk, it's like you know, either participating in or eavesdropping in on a conversation at a coffee shop, and that's the whole point and so here's the thing on climate action and by the way i want to give a shout out to a new handle that i'm just seeing for the first time in our live chat reheated lasagna what a Ooh, great handle lasagna is one of so, my favorite foods but it's tough to reheat it's, it's it, it is it, tough it, to it, it, it is an art if you can properly reheat <laughs> well, lasagna it's, it's, but, it's messy it, it can be messy well and then you reheated. get it's like super hot on the top and cool yeah, in yeah. the middle and it's a nightmare but but reheated yeah. lasagna says these types of conversations fill me with existential dread we are so Ooh. not prepared to deal with this issue climate change on the scale that it needs to be dealt with and to a certain degree uh my perspective aligns there and chuck there have been two recent decisions by canada's top court the supreme court of canada uh siding with the provinces um and and we talked about this about a month and a half maybe two months ago when when the ruling came out uh you know daniel smith scott moe other premiers basically counting it as a win for energy expansion for infrastructure development the supreme court basically saying uh and we talked to law professor martin olshinsky about this if people want to search it in our archive saying that 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 the feds had overstepped on regulatory and, and, and matters and that the provinces basically got the big win there and then 
the Supreme Court, what was it last week, two weeks ago, striking down what they called an unconstitutional plastics ban, saying that the feds, oh, you got a plastic straw in your hand. Did you know we were going to talk about this? You did. I just had, I just had a, a vibe, okay, because yeah, there's no way to talk about climate change with Ryan Jesperson, Mr. Dairy Queen, right? That's right. There's no way to talk to Mr. Dairy Queen without getting into straws. So I prepared. I did show prep, my friend. Do you bring a plaid? Do you carry a plastic straw around you to restaurants and places? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just. Some people do. <laughs> I don't do that, do. but I do favor. I do favor plastic over paper when it comes to straws. And if you want to blame me for Alberta wildfires, I'm, I'm, you know, fine. Go go ahead and blame me. I like plastic straws. Yeah, well, and I just don't think that the the that big paper straw. Uh, I don't think that the organ, you know, the, the the whoever it is that's putting paper straws together. By the way, number one, someone pointed out to me, like you go to Starbucks and they'll serve your iced latte to you in a plastic cup with a paper straw. Like, what are yeah. we even doing right now? But the paper <laughs> straws. I saw somebody else say that I know for a fact that paper straws are biodegradable because they are biodegrading as we speak in my yes, drink yeah, right now. Yeah, they're, they're just in, lousy. They're, in, they're biodegrading right into my teeth. But in all seriousness, yeah. you yeah. look at and, and so people will say uh, good on the Supreme Court for protecting the rights of industry and the provinces and the autonomy right. and, the, and the you know way it's supposed to go. But also those are two back to back punches in the gut for the yeah. environmental lobby in Canada. And I'm being deadly serious about that. I do. I understand that you're being deadly serious, and I and I don't want to, you know, come across today as a, a Neanderthal. I just have this uh, obligation to be a realist. And so when I read the Angus Reid survey, I thought to myself, this is an important survey because it gives people, especially those people who are involved in media and politics, a reality check that Canadians can chew gum and walk straight. They can believe that climate change is a serious issue, but they not they might not believe. That the carbon tax is is do, is is uh, to to use an Albertaism is getting her done. I realize it's not just an Albertaism. Alberta just like to use that expression, which comes from you know somewhere in the states. But um, if if everyone really believed that the carbon tax was getting it done, I think that the carbon tax and those people promoting it, like the Liberal Party of Canada, would have would have more support. I don't even know if the Liberals are promoting the carbon tax anymore. I don't think the Liberals even know. If they're promoting the carbon tax anymore, it's been so mismanaged uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, I think that there nobody is more lucky that the next federal election is two years away than the liberals. Of course. Right. But I mean, once once the liberals decided that Atlantic Canada was gone unless they took the carbon tax off the heating oil, they should have done it right across the country. I 100%. Mean, that is to, to be nice about it, to use a nice euphemism, tone deaf. It is totally tone deaf if you're a national government and you're giving one part of the country a break and giving the rest of the country the finger. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, either everyone gets the break or everyone gets the finger. We love you, Chuck. We look forward to this chat every week. We'll do it again in seven days. Yeah. By the way, Mark Twain didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> you either give everyone the break or everyone the finger. My favorite thing that you said today. I don't want to come across as a Neanderthal, but <laughs> talk to you again soon, pal. All right. See you later. You bet. You can subscribe if you want more Chuck to the Charles Adler Show. That's his uh, daily podcast. And, of course, follow him on Twitter. Uh, here's more the... Chuck for your buck. More Chuck for your buck. Um, that would be a good T-shirt. I like this. This is, this is a great comment from Kimberly who just says, and she hits the nail on the head, why do people feel the need to provide input 
into other people's personal decisions. She says it happens more with vegans and sober people than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Like, mind your own business and live your best life. She's bang on. I was talking to a friend of mine who's mm -hmm. been sober now for a year and about four days. So proud of him. Uh, had his had his last drink uh, uh, just over a year ago. And for, for personal reasons, which he's not obligated to explain, mm -hmm. uh, I'm just so proud of him that he's sworn off beer, most especially because he owns a brewery. Oh, so it's amazing. Good for him. It's then. amazing. That's amazing. Um, but uh, but we, we were talking about this and, and just the, the the realization that he's come to is that you almost feel and, and let me be clear, you are not obligated to do this. But he said it's strange. He feels like he almost has to say to people, oh, no, thanks. I'm not drinking. And then like mm -hmm. provide a reason why. But you don't have to. Yeah. It's like the 90s when the kids who went to the clubs straight edge, they had to put the black X on yeah, their head. Like Biff naked. Just so people wouldn't offer them a drink. And I don't want to bring this up because then people are going to be like, oh, she's vegan. And but my wife doesn't drink. So we went out, you saw we went out on a date a couple weeks ago and yeah. we went to a bunch of watering holes. And, you know, it's just not her thing. She orders a. Uh, you know, uh, alcohol-free cocktails. Yeah, and a mocktails. lot of places are, are offering mocktails now, which is great. But when when somebody, is, even a server, tries to get you into, oh, what can we start you with? And you're like, no, no, mocktail. Are you sure? Like, it's it's like it's like you've got a scarlet letter on you or something. Because, and I get it. Drinking is is such a social thing, right? But uh, I, more power to everyone these days who are trying to be healthier. And and not everybody has to do it. I mean, she's not sober. She still partakes in. You know the other thing, yeah. Oh, you're talking. Uh, uh, you're you're talking, talking about, about how, how, how your your life partner is plant based <laughs> yeah. in several different yeah several different ways. And I'll I also say, and I fully uh, support that. I'll also say uh, plastic cups better than plastic straws because you can recycle them easier. Okay. So the plastic straw problem is is they just they they degrade and get in. That, the seawater, right? And they a million oh, we pieces have, so fast. And we have a all huge stuff, problem. Right? We have a huge plastic is a huge mm -hmm. problem. Like Sylvia says, and hang on, guys. Sylvia says the plastics ban wasn't just it just wasn't worded to conform to constitutionality. It will be changed, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I just feel like to me these are two high profile stories. And again, the majority of people get their news from uh, you know a, a platform like Real Talk. We sure appreciate that. Or Read the headlines or you see a quick tweet and yeah. you don't get in and like get into the minutiae and the details, but the just two high profile decisions by the courts that would lead you to believe that, quite frankly, environmental action in Canada has been set back 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't 100 percent mean those words, but they're two high profile decisions out of the Supreme Court that are not maybe going in the direction that a lot of people would prefer. Yeah, and uh, Alberta girl here who I often don't agree with, but I'm going to give her a big up. She says plant-based plastics are biodegradable and should be the norm. And that's another thing mm. where, you know, a lot of plastic is made from, you know, oil products, right? And yeah. that's another that's another big money maker. I love this. People are talking about uh, booze and uh, kind of their, their lives. Uh, Sharon says, I don't drink either. That's why I made the coffee comment last week. I read that comment. Sharon, we appreciated that. We were joking about having Caesars at 10 in the morning. Um uh, yeah, others are saying, like Jason says, he stopped drinking five years ago. Uh, he says, it's almost like I need to wear a shirt. Uh, <laughs> totally. that, that every relationship like <laughs> in my life is better when I don't drink. Jason, yeah. congratulations on getting to that point. I mean, mm -hmm. that's amazing. A lot of people either never get there or they, they get there when it's too late. Um, 
You know, uh, others are saying like CS is bang on, says the societal push on alcohol is intense. Congratulations to those that don't need the stuff. Super yeah. intense. Like anytime you're celebrating, it's like, let's have a drink. Yeah. It's like immediately if you're celebrating, alcohol is involved. And it's just it's a strange thing. Well, it's not strange. It's it's even know. the language you use, right? Like celebration, I think pop and bottles. Exactly. Like, you, right? you Champagne. Just, Right. Yeah. You immediately. Just, yeah. You yeah. just you just think about it. Um, we talked about, you know, the affordability crisis. And, and uh, if, if you didn't catch our roundtable just this past Friday, just a few days ago, I encourage you to look at that. Um, it was a really, really interesting conversation, a neat conversation about, you know, what needs to be done across the country policy wise and otherwise. And you're going to go, Ryan, really like I've got one hour of free time today and you want me to listen to people talking about policy, but they take it and policy into practice. Like whose job is it? Is it City Hall's job? Is it the legislature's job? Is it the House of Commons? Whose job is it? Uh, to make life more affordable. And and how do we dangle carrots in front of landlords to be more energy efficient and to invest that? But then also, how do we protect renters, right? Nobody really talks about renters. Very few people do. And housing stock in Canada, how realistic is it to get a million houses built in the next few years like all the experts say we need to do? And if that is going to happen, then... How do the governments make it attractive for developers? Yeah, that's right. Big, bad developers. If you listen to some people, developers are the bad guy. You listen to other people like Jennifer Keys, Matt, on this show a couple of months ago. If not developers, then who? You know, you really want cities that can't get public transit built even three years late? Quarterbacking brand new neighborhoods? No. Not a chance. It's a terrible idea. So I recommend that roundtable. Uh, we heard from Stacy uh, just over the weekend. I love this. Got this uh, Saturday at five in the morning, although she was writing from New Brunswick. So I think it was more like almost eight o'clock there. She's getting into her first coffee and, and a real talker from New Brunswick. The subject line broke in New Brunswick. That's coming up in just a quick second. But we want to remind you that these conversations, this show doesn't happen without the support of partners of ours like our friends at Friesen Brothers. They've got their new minced meat pie ready for you as you're getting set to celebrate the season. We get the holiday lights going up on a bunch of the houses, Can't Johnny, wait. in our neighborhood. Pretty exciting stuff. People are turning the corner. Friesen Brothers for a limited time only offering their minced meat pie. Plus, they've got Granny Loveson's Fruit cake. You're not going to want to miss that. All kinds of ways for you to get into the spirit of the season at the 16 and soon to be 17 Friesen Brothers across Alberta. That company, still family owned, coming up on 70 years, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. And our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you as well that, yeah, it's the time of year. That they're not going to pretend like they're getting out there breaking ground on new landscaping projects right now. They're busting out their pencils. They're busting out their drafting equipment. They're getting the plans drawn up so they can make sure that when spring arrives and that ground thaws, they're ready to go on your brand new project, bringing your outdoor space to life. One of the reasons why you're going to want to get in touch with them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. If you have special plans, you want something unique that sets your yard apart, a lot of times with supply chain issues, they've got to get these materials ordered months in advance if you want them to arrive on time. So you got your 50th birthday or your 50th wedding anniversary. Maybe it's a retirement party. Hey, maybe it's an engagement announcement that you're going to be hosting in your backyard next summer. Start the conversation with Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
We hear from Stacy on Saturday uh, to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Broke in New Brunswick, says her subject line. She says, I love your show. I'm a real talker as well. We love hearing from people across the country. Says, I'm a, a lifelong resident of New Brunswick. I've, I've worked. I've had a job since I was 15. I'm now 53. Uh, my house is about 70 years old. There's mold in the ceilings, the walls, the bathrooms. Half the electrical outlets and light fixtures don't work because of broken circuit breakers. There's rotten boards on our deck. And the list goes on. And I can't afford to get any of it fixed. I can't sell it to somebody who could fix it because I can't afford rent anywhere. Even a studio or one-bedroom apartment is minimum 1500 bucks a month. And that's in a part of the city where your landlord tells you that if you do decide to rent there, you better call your insurance company because you can expect your car to be broken into. And by the way, good luck even finding an affordable apartment in a bad location. I have one son who recently graduated from college living at home because he surely can't afford rent anywhere either. My oldest son living outside the home renting with three friends because it's the only way any of them can even barely afford to live on their own. They all went to university and they're all carrying student loans. They have car payments and they all have what I would consider to be good jobs here in New Brunswick because of their expensive educations, but it's still not enough for any of them to be able to afford rent in their own place, let alone buy a house. Stacy says, I drive an 11-year-old car that is uh, on the precipice of requiring expensive repairs, and I'm sharing this car with my son who's still at home because his 15-year-old car is not safe to drive. I mean, it deserves to be junked. He can't afford even the most basic transportation, uh, leasing or renting, and that includes old used cars. And good luck even finding an affordable, basic, cheap car, new or used, says Stacy. The other day, my 21-year-old son told me that he and his friends talk about how they'll probably never be able to buy a house. These are hardworking, motivated, well-educated young people at 21, worrying about such huge things. At their age, all I worried about was where the party was going to be that weekend. As a parent, it's heartbreaking. I've been a single mom of two kids for almost 20 years, so I've always lived paycheck to paycheck. My house is heavily mortgaged. I have lines of credit and credit card debt. I live a life of robbing Peter to pay Paul every month. Which bill can wait another month or two without getting my water or electricity shut off? Even with all of the above, I consider myself to be extremely lucky to have these problems. I say all the time, don't judge people experiencing homelessness because most of us are just one or two paychecks away from being in the exact same circumstance. Thanks for your roundtable, and keep on keeping it real. That from Stacy broke in New Brunswick. How amazing is that? Messages like that mean the world to us. Stacy, we appreciate you sharing your perspective, your experience, and I can guarantee that your words will resonate with hundreds, if not thousands of people experiencing the exact same thing. It reiterates to us the importance of having those conversations, of talking to the experts, but also having everyday folks, the people you meet on the street, the people you meet in the coffee shops, tell us how government policies, how industry developments, how job market implications are impacting them in their everyday real lives. So Stacy, thank you for having the courage to share your firsthand experience. We're going to wrap up today's show on a real positive, and this one was submitted by Landon, and we love when real talkers let us know what they'd like to see reflected in positive reflections presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. This is our time to step outside the news cycle and celebrate good stories, and Landon says, I wonder if anybody would recognize the name Ronald McNair. 
He says, I just learned of this story myself. Ronald McNair, at nine years of age, back in 1959, went to enter a segregated library. At nine years of age, he tried to check out books, but they wouldn't let him because Ronald McNair was black. Now, this guy rose through the ranks, excelling in school, excelling in his career to the point that he was the second African-American ever in space on the shuttle Challenger. Now, of course, you know the fate of the shuttle Challenger. In 1986, Ronald McNair was one of those on board when Challenger exploded on liftoff. He was killed at just 35 years of age. A sad and tragic story, but here's the thing. In memoriam, the library where Ronald McNair was turned away at nine years of age is now named after him. That's right, the Ronald McNair Library in memory of a great achiever who left us far too soon at 35 years of age. Landon says, I didn't know the background. I didn't know the story. It reminded me of the power we have as humans to right a wrong, but also that some of our wrongs are in our not too distant past. Landon, thank you for sharing that with us. You can pass along your positive reflection to talk at ryanjesperson.com, proudly presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today by visiting kubienergy.ca. Coming up on tomorrow's episode of Real Talk, we're going to check in with Dr. Timothy Caulfield. He's got something cooking. And then the author of a new report out on the Alberta Pension Plan is going to join us on Wednesday. Is there any way to spin it as a good deal? We'll find out. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.